Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Caitlin Soule. Caitlin is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as an author. She specializes in women's mental health, motherhood, and anxiety. Most of our conversation today is inspired by Caitlin's book. It's called A Little Less of a Hot Mess, The Modern Mom's Guide to Growth and Evolution. She calls it her mission to empower today's women with practical health guidance so they can step into their identity as mothers and so much more and take up space in the world. Let's get into it. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here with you. Me too. I'm so excited to have you and we're absolutely going to get into your wonderful book and story, but I wanted to start out with something that I feel is foundational to the motherhood and mental health conversation. And that's what you call a mom's invisible workload. So what is the invisible workload and how does it impact our mental health as mothers? The invisible workload is something that I hadn't really learned about or thought about until just a couple of years ago. I experienced it as a mom, but didn't have words to describe it. I came across one of my favorite author and social justice advocates work, Eve Rodsky. She wrote a book called Fair Play, and she talks about the invisible workload, which a lot of us call the mental load, the emotional load. And essentially, that's what it is. It's the things that people can't see that go into motherhood, right? That go into running a family and raising humans. It's all the things that we keep inside in our head, you know, the planning, the thinking about what needs to happen, the worrying about, you know, whether or not our kids okay, uh, what the summer schedule is going to look like. Do I have enough laundry detergent? Oh, shoot. Did I change the sheets in the last month? Like, right. Is my kids, you know, inattentive behavior indicative of a bigger issue? All those things running through our mind all the time. That's the invisible work of motherhood. And how does that impact our mental health to have this major cognitive load that maybe we didn't experience before becoming a mom? Yeah, you're right. It's the cognitive load. And I also think it's the emotional load. And I think those two things are obviously very related. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. So I think about that a lot. And I think that when we are preparing to become moms, it's all about preparing for the baby to come, right? It's getting the things you know, getting the right crib, if that's even a thing, or, you know, getting all the equipment and making sure that we read about sleep schedules and sleep training. And maybe even some of us think about how to recover in our own bodies. And that's great. But we don't often think about how our life is going to change and how our partnerships are going to change and what that's going to look like. And I think one of the biggest surprises for at least for me, I'll speak for myself and many of the women that I talk to is that even if you're in a relationship or partnership where things are pretty equal and, you know, maybe you both work and things are pretty even when we have a child, what becomes most surprising is how much of that stuff is on us and not necessarily our partner. 
And I remember talking to my best friend right after I had a baby and she'd had a baby a couple of years before me. And I said to her something along the lines of like, why didn't you tell me that? Like, this is so hard. Why didn't you tell me that? Like at that time, you know, like my husband basically doesn't get it. He's not doing anything. Meanwhile, he was doing things. I wasn't one knowing what to ask for two allowing for him to do the things that he was able to do. And three, we don't live in a culture and society that encourages men to get involved early. All that has shifted and changed for us now. But, and all that to say is I think that's the biggest surprise and the hardest part about becoming a parent and a mom, particularly is that we don't prepare for how this invisible workload is going to impact us. And also, I mean, you might agree. I don't think we really can until we experience it. I don't think we know what it feels like until we experience it. Although I do think we can start to have tough conversations while we're pregnant or thinking about having a child around how to better share this invisible load of motherhood. I can't agree more. And I found, I I agree to, to some extent, you really have to, you just don't know until you go through it. And I'm sure that, well, everyone has all this good meaning, (laughs) uninvited (laughs) advice when you're pregnant it seems like nobody wants to overwhelm you with some of the realities that are this. And I felt like almost there was too much emphasis on getting back to your pre-mom bod where like, that was like one teeny tiny sliver to like, I needed, I was like getting back to my pre-mom everything. It was so much more than that. You're right. That becomes, I think like the external focus from society, but like really all moms are just like, yeah, that would be nice to feel better in my skin, but I'm barely hanging on by a thread right now. And I can't get back to my body, which there is, I don't think ever any getting back to there's like evolving into a new body. I can't get to that healthy place. If I'm not getting the support and help I need, there's just no way. I agree. So that's a perfect segue into your book. It's called a little less of a hot mess. The Modern Mom's Guide to Growth and Evolution. And I love that the kind of cheeky title is a preview into your style because I really appreciated you were funny, you were relatable, and also while dropping loads of knowledge that I think moms are going to want to, to hear. So you're a mom, you're a mom of three, as we established, you're also a therapist and among other things, you've got an expertise in motherhood. So I think you sit in this awesome position to shed light on what we kind of started talking about this absolutely wonderful transition that also can be terrifying and unexpected when it comes to the responsibility moms take on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your motherhood journey and how this book came to life? Yeah. So my motherhood journey, I I talk about my first two kids, their girls, almost like it happened at the same time because it almost did. (laughs) My daughters are 15 months apart. And so the first like two years of their life felt like a blur. And it just felt like it was just the most wonderful experience of becoming a mom. I loved being a mom. I was in awe of these babies and right. Holding two truths or multiple truths. It was really hard. And I was barely head above water. And I think there's back then, especially there was a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and even saying that I was struggling. And so I was just pretending on the outside. I wasn't like faking it, I wouldn't say, but I was really like pulling everything I had to present like everything was okay. And internally I was struggling a lot. Now that I look back, I would definitely say I was struggling with some postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, maybe a mix of both. 
I didn't recognize it, right? Ironic, I'm a therapist who missed it, but we don't often see those things about ourselves. And so while I loved being a mom, like we do, and I was challenged by this transition, I felt like I had lost so much of myself and my identity that I was barely even recognizable. In fact, I tell a story about this and I recently wrote about it for an article in Parents Magazine. My daughters were about one and two and a half, somewhere around there. Not even one yet. My youngest was maybe nine or 10 months old, actually. And I found out I was pregnant again and it was an unexpected pregnancy only to find out a couple of days later that the pregnancy wasn't viable and I was going to be having a miscarriage. So trigger warning, I'm going to talk about miscarriage here for a minute. And I was so like deep in the motherhood trenches that I didn't even allow myself to really process or know how to process the news that I was going to be having a miscarriage. I was a little bit relieved to be fully honest because I wasn't ready to have another baby. And then I was guilty that I was relieved. So I ended up They said, go home. You'll probably have the miscarriage at some point over the weekend. Just take it easy and let us know, you know, if we come back in, blah, 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 the whole thing they tell you. So they told me to take it easy. I did not take it easy. I ended up saying yes to going to a two-year-old's birthday party because I didn't want my babies to miss out as if they would even know, right? And I didn't want to let anybody down. I didn't want to let my husband down, who, by the way, was like, we shouldn't go, like stay home. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. I'm going, I'm going, I'm doing this. I'm fine. I'm fine. I wasn't fine. I ended up having a miscarriage, starting to have a miscarriage because it's a process in the car on the way to a birthday party, two hours away in that moment, or maybe days later, I recognized I've got to do something. Like I've really lost the plot here. I've lost touch with myself. And I started getting from there involved in my own work of therapy, you know, trying to kind of put into practice the things that, that I teach other women and getting my own therapist, um, surrounding myself with better community and more supportive people. And from there, I really started to think about mental health and motherhood differently and really became passionate about that part of the work. And a couple of years later, you know, the pandemic happened and I thought about like what moms could use or need in the moment. And I knew we were going to need a heck of a lot more support and that we were going to be struggling even more with our mental health. So it just seemed like the right time to start writing this book, which by the way, was just as therapeutic for me to write as it was, as it is hopefully for people to read. Thank you. I think that your honesty and willing to share vulnerably, especially since there is this, you know, untruth for lack of a better way to put it, that therapists are supposed to always have their stuff together and not be their own hot mess. I think it's, it's really healing and it's an invitation for, for moms to understand and see similar experiences through a different lens in your book. I want to read a little quote because it, it kind of, it, uh, with your, your story of forcing yourself into the birthday party and all of the people you've worked with, it kind of drops us right in. So it says, I've lived with the crazy. I've heard all the crazy. And I know that at the end of the day, we're all really just on a quest to find a piece of ground we can stand on that feels like our own, that feels both peaceful and joyful. And I believe it's our right to find that space. So now you've, you know, you've worked with thousands of clients. You've dealt with your own hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) Navigated as as we all have and continue to. It's an evolution, but you seem to be in this with writing this book. It seems to me that you've turned a corner and being a lot more intentional 
in terms of finding that space that you describe in that quote from the book. So what do you think the biggest roadblocks you see to the women you work with stepping into that space for themselves? Hands down, the biggest roadblock is, I think I've always thought this, but haven't answered it this like, yes, this is for sure it, I, is this limiting belief that we don't deserve it, that we don't deserve the time and space to care for ourselves or prioritize ourselves, that everyone and everything else should come first. That's really why this book is about teaching women to say yes to themselves. And I think that the reason why we don't believe we deserve it or that it's okay to like pursue a life beyond motherhood or to care for ourselves within motherhood is because of the cultural societal stories, narratives. And so a lot of the work then becomes about unlearning those things so that we can start to prioritize ourselves. And I know that sounds so vague and it looks like a lot of different things for different people, but I think we have to start with trying to unlearn the stories and beliefs that keep us stuck from even believing that we deserve to work on ourselves or to care for ourselves, to prioritize our mental health. Let's drill a little bit deeper and I'll throw my, I'll throw myself, I'll I'll literally throw today into the mix as an example, because I think you said the the limited belief that we don't deserve it. I think somehow, whether it's society, whether it's how we were brought up, there is this enormous pressure for women to just have it all together and have all things humming. Right. And I have this system in my house that we've established, uh, you know, a, a silver lining in some ways of COVID is that my husband works a few days from home now. And so, well, it can be a little hectic when we're both trying to work <laughs> pros and cons, right? When we're both trying to work from here, we've established a system where one day a week during the school year, he just does the morning routine with my kids. And mm. he, it's what it happens to be today, the day that we're recording and he had a conference. So it kind of upended my usual like morning routine. And I look for it. I have this one day and I kind of do special things in the morning. And I think an older version of me would have just been like stewing on it like me. And I asked him, I was like, what time do you have to leave for the conference? When's the latest you can go to that? And he's like, well, and he was just planning on like, sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that this morning. And he's like, well, actually there's a breakfast, but I guess I don't really even have to be there for the breakfast. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so silly. But if I wouldn't have just asked, I would have kind of stewed on it. And he really wouldn't have known how much it was affecting my day. Yes. Yes. I just wanted to share that. That's a great example of like one small yet really significant step we can take. I, I don't think that these two processes have to happen at different time. Meaning like, I don't think we have to like learn that we're worth it and then start taking action. I think we learned that we're worth it at the same time by taking action. Like those two things are so related. So knowing that we're worth it while taking these small steps, like, Hey, honey, what time could you have to leave today? It would be really helpful if I could have, you know, 20 minutes or whatever, an hour to be able to go through my morning routine. Ideally you don't do that in the morning. Right. I mean, whatever I would, cause I'm a bad planner, but like, ideally you sit down with your partner and you ask or demand spaces in both of your lives where you get to be outside of your role as mom, dad, parent, partner. This is really where I'm going to plug again, not because I'm in any way getting paid to do this, but the fair play system, which I love to help us organize 
more time and space for ourselves because we do deserve it. So I love your example. That's a great one. Instead of just sitting in the kind of like, like the muck of like, this is going to be the worst day ever. It's like, well, what can I do to shift that and change that? Absolutely. Being intentional. And then also having that worthiness and also just realizing that sometimes if you're, you know, I know not everybody has a partner, but a friend, sometimes just knowing that they might not have any idea how much a 20 minute break could mean to a mom or just having that extra time in your day. So just getting over sometimes that fear of needing support can be big. I'll give you a a really quick example. Yesterday, I got home from a full day of seeing clients. I've been recovering from weird long COVID symptoms and I've been really fatigued and I'm not, I'm a, I love to work out, but I haven't been able to lately. And so I was planning to just kind of get right back into the kids. The babysitter was here. And instead of coming right home, I texted her and said, I would really like to go for like a 20 minute walk. Are you able to stay 20 minutes longer? And she was like, sure, no problem. Normally I would feel guilty. Like I've been, or I might fall into that trap. I should say of feeling guilty of like, I've been gone all day. And I'm like, in order to be a better parent tonight, cause I've been single parenting all week. Cause my husband's been gone hats off to single parents. I was like, I need this time to myself. And it's true. So I think those little things that we can do are so important and they build habits too. And even if your partner was like, no, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I have to be at this meeting. At least they heard how important it is to you that they help and that they be a part of things and how much you need them to show up equally. And I think that's valuable too. Okay. So I know something else that came up a big section in your book that I, I know that my listenership will be interested in is this whole idea about control. And this has been coming up for me a lot. And I I know lots of moms in my circles about even the summer, you know, feeling like there's this balance of like, you want to plan some things and you have to, right. I mean, you balancing work and life and family, but I think that there's a point that I've realized where over trying to over plan or over control can tip into unhealthy territory. And can yes. have you seen that? How can we maybe recognize it in ourselves? And, and what can we do about that? I love that. Like, I don't know if juxtaposition is the right word, but it's those two things are true is that we both, we need to plan for the summer how we're going to navigate that, what we can afford as far as childcare and summer camps and all the things. It's really hard. Yet it's also true that we do want to give our kids and us ourselves time and space to just be without so much structure. And so I think it's it's a dance and it's really a challenging one. So I think I was just talking to a girlfriend about this this morning. I ran into at the grocery store and she said, I have all these camps planned. And then I have one week where we're doing nothing. And she's like, what I'm trying to figure out something to do that week. And I kind of looked at her like, are you working that week? Like no judgment. Like, I'm just curious, like, why do you need to find something to do that week? She's like, oh my gosh, we don't. She's like, maybe it would be nice to have, it was a longer conversation than this. Maybe it would be nice to have that week to just kind of be. And I said, yeah. And you know, maybe our kids will drive us crazy, but then we can swap a little bit. Like, you know, so we were just kind of laughing about this idea of, we believe that we need to kind of fill every space and moment and time to know what's going to happen and be certain. And I think that we really cheat ourselves and our children from learning that it's okay to not know. It's okay to be bored. There's so many things. It's okay to be uncertain. All that stuff is practice and learn. So I'm not going to say don't plan anything, just like be a free bird, but I am going to say like, let's practice both. Let's practice making some time and space for that too. 
And why can it feel so anxiety producing in general for moms if we can't control or plan sometimes? I am that mom that I just, I'm, I, again, I'm not a great planner, but I do need to know like what's going to happen and that I'm going to have time and space to like breathe a little bit. And so I think that is what feels so anxiety provoking for parents and for specifically working moms too, is like, I think all moms are working moms, but when we're trying to like, when we don't know what's going to happen and we don't have a plan, we recognize that anything could happen and that we can maybe even lose the one minute or the short time window that we have for ourselves. And that feels like catastrophic in so many ways, right? Because we're so overwhelmed and we're so just, we need those margins in time. So it is anxiety provoking to not know if we're talking about like scheduling in time, what I'm talking about practicing getting in the book. When I talk about practicing sitting with uncertainty, I'm talking about practicing sitting with uncertainty about some of the like bigger things in life around what's going to happen. You know, if my child continues to struggle with friendship, are they, you know, we kind of go down the like rabbit hole of like, are they going to be like that kid who has no friends or are they going to be the mean kid? And we start to like, imagine all these worst case scenarios because we're looking for, we're looking for an answer. We're looking for certainty, practicing sitting with uncertainty. can look like this is hard. My child's trying to navigate this time, or I'm trying to navigate this time. I'm just going to let myself be in this and wait to see what happens. I'm going to do what I can to try and help myself or evolve, but I'm not going to try and make predictions about what's going to happen or try and over control the outcome. Sitting with uncertainty can also be smaller than that. Like I mentioned in the book, it could be practicing taking a new route to work, something that you're not familiar with. It could be having something totally different for breakfast that you, than you normally would. This is more for people who are really rigid because uh, the last thing I'll say about this is there's more uncertainty in life now than ever before. I feel like life is always uncertain, but as us moms know, the past couple of years with COVID and all the things happening in the world, we need to be able to be more flexible and to be able to sit with uncertainty because it is, like I say in the book, it's certain. Uncertainty is certain. Yeah. And I know some of this fear, especially in the landscape of the past few years that have just been, you know, traumatizing on different levels for different people. And, and no matter what your situation is, we all I'm sure have struggled as parents the last couple of years. I think part of this fear is just like, oh my God, am I, I just hope I'm doing it right for moms. And so what do you think the biggest gift we can give to our children is? I think it would soothe a lot of souls to hear your perspective on that. The biggest gift we can give our children is being like modeling imperfection and modeling repair. So let me explain that a little better. This idea that we're all human, we all make mistakes or we all learn as we go by allowing ourselves to do that. And then when we do feel like, we've done something to accidentally hurt our child emotionally, or we've done something that's out of line with our values. I talk a lot about staying in line with our values in the book to be able to be vulnerable enough to say, Hey, kiddo, I messed up. You know, mommy's human. I was really feeling overwhelmed and I'm sorry. Is there anything you want to ask about, you know, what happened or do you want to share with how you felt about what happened? So being imperfect modeling being imperfect so that they can go out and take risks and try things and be okay with making mistakes 
and then being self-aware enough and vulnerable enough to make the repair when a repair needs to happen. Kids don't need us to be the perfect mom. They need us to be real and to show up for them in a way, like the most present way that we can and the most honest way that we can. So you being you, I guess, will be the biggest gift. Just like being fully you, your whole self, you know, is the biggest gift we can give our children. And human. I I think that'll be really helpful and reassuring for listeners to hear because sometimes I think that depending on the age of our kids, we kind of hide, like we want them to think of us on a pedestal. And in some ways you're saying that's not actually nurturing. Yeah, it's not helpful. I think that then kids try and be buttoned up or they try and like, eventually it may translate into them hiding the hard parts of the hard things that are going on in their life, going on in their life from us, because they're worried, you know, that we might judge them or shame them and, and, or that like that stuff never happened to us. I really love, you know, this idea of normalizing being human and all the things that happen as we grow up and just letting them know that we're not perfect. And we've been through things too. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit. I, we talked a lot in the beginning about the mental, emotional load and whether it's meals, activity schedules, birthday parties, carpools, you name it. We all know that we need to be intentional to invite in balance and take care of ourselves and and strive to find that space that I think we both know women deserve. A part of that that's been really important for my journey is presence. And I know we're both Eckhart Tolle fans and you have a beautiful quote from him in our book. So I want to share this quote that you included in our book and then talk a little bit about inviting more presence into our motherhood journey. So here we go says all negativity is caused by an accumulation of the psychological time and denial of the present unease, anxiety, tension, stress, worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future and not enough presence, guilt, regret, resentment, grievances, sadness, bitterness, and all forms of non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough present. And I really like the way you talk about in this, in your book, because I think about it a lot this way. And I, I get, I, I catch myself, you call it time traveling, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us what time traveling is and how that can enter into the mom brain. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think in psychology, we call it like future forecasting. I like how I said, I think, because there's all these like terminologies that we use, but for me, it just made sense to call it time traveling it's being in a place where you're trying to either predict what's going to happen in the future, which by the way, we can't do as we know now, or as we're experiencing now to try and predict what's happening in the future or control what's happening in the future. So much so that we're unable to exist in the present moment and be okay. And so that's something that I know I struggle with a lot as a person and as a mom, um, because I think particularly for moms, we have so much on our plate all the time that it feels really hard to be in the present moment because we feel like we might, you know, either forget something or drop a ball and then everything's going to fall apart. So we do spend a lot of time trying to like plan and think ahead, which is really important in our role as moms, but also can be, yeah, it can be harmful or it can really take away from our ability to be present in the moment. So in general, like as a therapist, I think one of the, the, what I see, one of the biggest kind of causes of anxiety or one of the biggest 
indications that somebody's struggling with anxiety is that they're spending a ton of time in the future. And so then the solve for that is to help them get more present and to be more in the moment. And as moms, I think just simple things we can do during a busy day, reminding ourselves like, you know, having a mantra that we say or something like mine is be where your feet are. It's okay to be right here in this moment. Oprah has one that's in this moment. I am well, love that one. Anything we can do to remind ourselves like, okay, come back into the moment. It doesn't have to be some big fancy mindfulness activity or like an hour of yoga. We can just do it frequently throughout our day through these cues, through verbal cues, through body cues. And yeah, I think there's lots of different ways to do it, but it's so important. Do you have any favorite, you know, mom hacks that you use to, to be more present when you're spending time with your kids? Yeah, that's a hard one. I'm so glad you brought that up because I am a doer and I want to like, like, I'm like, okay, we're playing Barbies or like they want to color. And I actually like my head is like, you know, yeah, I'm bouncing ahead to the next thing. And so I have to put my phone if I really want to be intentional and I don't do this all the time. So don't go feeling guilty if you don't do this, put my phone in the other room and just set aside. I do 10 minute increments increments or short increments of just full attention, because I know I can commit to 10 minutes. I know I can do that. You know, for some people it could be much longer or even shorter, but kids don't need all of our time. They just need quality time. So I think one hack would be choose to be intentional with just like a shorter amount of time and put your distractions away. And that's really it. I mean, you just got to do the best you can because it's hard we aren't conditioned as adults to like, want to be really interested in playing with our kids. I don't think some adults are, I am not. And so I really have to choose to be intentional. And then I guess another hack would be, um, and this does work for me, choose things to do with your kids that you do enjoy if possible. That might help kind of the mind numbing nature of playing with your kids. For me, it's hiking, walking. I love being outside with my kids. So that helps me be more present. Yeah, I we're on the same page there. That's absolutely what I strive for. And I same don't get it right every day. That's for sure. But I try to do like, especially my kids are both my my stepson is fully grown and my two little girls are still in elementary school. So I try to do when I see them at least have at least 15 minutes where I'm just like dropped in and totally present. What do you want to do? You know, not like immediately get into like the texting if they want to have friends over or multitasking type of situation, right? Right. Yeah. And just starting with that dropped in connection. And I couldn't agree more though. When my kids were little, I felt like some, some of my friends would think they needed to spend around the clock playing and, and something else, even though my, my children are now, my girls are now nine and 10. If they asked me to do something that I don't like doing, usually, Mm -hmm. you know, like I will now say, I'm going to set a timer. Let's do that for 10 minutes. And then we're both going to, and then I'm going to do something else. And I don't feel bad about it because I feel like when you actually drop in, it's amazing how much connection you can feel in those short stints of time versus being like, this sucks. I'm not really enjoying this. So I'm just going to like half ass, (laughs) you know? And bonus, you're teaching your child that like, not everybody's going to want to do what they want to do all the time. And that you're kind of meeting them in the middle. Like, Hey, I'll compromise. I'll do this with you because I love you, but I then am going to shift my attention to something else. And that teaches them this, that skill too. And so I think that's really great. Well, I also agree with you completely on finding things you actually like to do. And, you know, people used to say, I, I know toddlerhood and babyhood. That's just a total, that's a season, that's a phase. And if you're on the other side of it, we know, but 
one way, I think every, every age has its, you know, ups and and new challenges, but I have loved genuinely being able to do things that I enjoy that my kids also happen to like. And that's been a blessing for me that we can go for a bike ride. You mentioned hiking, or we can go to the park and lay in the grass and read. And I'm like, sweet, this is much better than interacting with like Yes. <laughs> and I even like I totally or like you know I said Barbies but like even I have a hard time like with Lego like those kind of things puzzles I'm not interested but yoga like I I like my I could get my daughters to do yoga with me sometimes and it's like a win-win and it's fun because we giggle and laugh and like it's cool you know and so I think it's really good to find things that make you feel good when you're trying to be present with your kid, because you're not going to want to be present. Like you said, when you're doing something that you really despise. (laughs) Totally. So I know that a big portion of your book is dedicated to boundaries. And I feel like that's a conversation that we've talked about that topic on electric ideas. And I, I think it's a bigger conversation than we have time for today, but I know that as we're getting back into summer and post COVID, I feel like there's tons of traditions of spending time together with families and there's these barbecues and comings together. And I think it's breeding grounds for a lot of moms to kind of have this anxiousness about feeling judged about anything from how you discipline or don't discipline or what freaking vegetables your kids will put on their plate, that sort of thing. So do you have any practical advice for how moms can kind of prepare for this type of environment with kind of close family or friends and make sure that they feel good, that their kids are going to enjoy their time, but also that they're going to enjoy their time too. I love this question. I really think when it comes to setting boundaries, we have to start with getting really clear on our values. Something that is a big part of my book as well. Before we get into boundaries, we get into figuring out like what our true values are as a parent, as a mom, and as like as a human, because I think those things cross over. And the reason why we choose our values is because then we can set boundaries around those things. So if one of our highest values, for example, is like fun and adventure, we might be, you know, a little bit more boundaried around the time we spend saying yes to things that don't involve fun or adventure or that spending time with people who maybe don't line up with those values. Another thing to think about when it comes to boundary setting is who am I going to like elect in a way to be my personal advisory board? And what I I talk about that in the book is this idea that like, we can't care about what everybody thinks around us that's just exhausting. I've been there before. I'm a people pleaser in reform or whatever you call it. And that's really hard, but we can care about what the people in our life think who really truly see us and value us and love us. And so I think it's important that we do have those people that we can go to and say, like, give me some feedback here. Or if they give you feedback to be able to take it to heart, I really reject this notion in popular culture of like, F everyone. Like, I'm going to just do my thing. I don't care what anyone else thinks. That's just really unrealistic. We do care what people think. We're built for that. But we have to be a little bit more selective in order to be healthier around who we're allowing to weigh in on our life. That's helpful. Thank you. So my tips, I know you asked for tips. So I'd say, think about your values and let those inform what boundaries you're going to set. And to like, think about who in your life you really care about 
their opinion, like whose opinion actually really matters based on, based on your values and based on your relationship with that person. And then the other thing I want to say, the third thing that I didn't talk about in depth is make sure that you're turning inward before you turn outward. And I do talk about this in the book. Like, what do I actually want? What do I actually feel? What do I actually need? Not like, what do I think they need? What do I think I should do? So turning inward before we turn outward is such an important process when it comes to figuring out what boundaries we need to set and hold. Beautifully articulated. And I couldn't agree more. I think you're kind of making me want to think about it, even in terms of my values, choosing a couple of values for the summer is just like a filter almost to I love that. saying yes or no, or, you know, how, and, and that's almost also ties in a little bit. You're inspired. We're, I'm getting it. I'm getting excited. Here. <laughs> yes, um, I love you that. know how we were talking about free time versus structured time. It would be nice to just have, so if we have days, we can just be like, well, what's our values. Okay. What could we do that lines up Spont- spontaneously? Yeah. You know, what is something that would fill those values with, that we know we share? Yeah. And you know, there's lots of values exercises online. You can buy value sorting cards, which I think would be a cool thing. I haven't done this yet with my family. I want to do it with my husband. Just, we did it a while ago, but just to get like kind of realigned on, on what our values are and you can find those anywhere. And I think that would be a really kind of fun family game to do as well. You could pick family values. You could pick individual values and like your values as a, as a couple, as in, if you're in relationships. Yeah. I like that. Cause they shift, they might, they shift with age, they shift with season and, and everything. So, all right. Well, I know we're getting close to time, but hot mess has been out for a little while now. And I'm just really curious if they're, because you are, like I said, very relatable and funny. I had some giggles, uh, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> Is there any, are, are there, has there been anything in the book that has gotten a disproportionate reaction that you feel like people are are responding to in a way that you're like, whoa, I thought that was kind of common knowledge, but people are just seem to be really attaching to. Yeah. You know what it is that now that you're saying that it, um, there's been a couple things, but one of the ones that stands out the most to me is there's a part in the book where I talk about self-compassion and giving ourselves grace as moms and motherhood and just in general, as humans, it's a hard thing for us to do. Um, and I share the example of you know, as our child is learning to walk and they're not very good at it and they fall down and they stumble, we don't tell them like, gosh, you suck. You're the worst. You're a terrible walker. We're like, okay, babe, good try. Get up. Let's do it again. You've got this. And then I said, and what if we extended that same kind of compassion and encouragement to ourselves when it comes to learning how to navigate our big adult feelings and our big feelings that come up in motherhood and how to parent. And so I think I've gotten a lot of feedback on like when I, people read that part of the book. And when I use the child as the example, who's learning to walk, they're like, Oh my gosh, I never thought of it in that way. And one of somebody told me that it actually made them cry because they felt like sad for themselves to how hard they are on themselves. And I have chills right now because that really like, that's why I wanted to write the book was to be able to help us think about things differently and heal and to actually make an impact. And so those moments were, have been really special to me. Yes. Moms get, have a lot, a lot to deal with without beating themselves up um, (sighs) along the way. So I love that we're closing there. I always end my episodes in the same way. And that is 
what's one question women should be asking themselves more? I think it's, what do I want? What do I need? And then if there's a third option, a third question, because, you know, I'm a wordy person, what do I want? What do I need? And what's it going to take to make it happen? Beautiful. Well, your book is such a invitation into women really, I guess, reminding women that they have agency. And that's such a value of mine that they have choice in their life and to advocate for themselves. So thank you so much. I know that this is going to fuel a lot of women and this conversation will spark a lot of ideas for my listenership. I, I want to, I want to let everybody know where we can find you, where we can get your books so we can continue to soak in your knowledge. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. And so you can actually, if you go to my website, which is wellnotesforher.com, you can download a free chapter of the book. So that way you can check it out before you buy it. So wellnotesforher.com. You can buy my book on Amazon. It's on Audible and it's also available everywhere else. Books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Target, all the things. And you can request it in your local bookstore if it's not in there already, because I love supporting local bookshops. So well notes for her is my website. And then my Instagram handle, which I hang out there a lot is at well notes for her as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Caitlin. It's been great to connect. Thank you. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at Whitney Woman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.